I'm going to let Craig Smalley introduce uh, our our speaker this morning, who's going to make a presentation uh, concerning uh, prison ministry. I just want to preface it by saying prison ministry is something that is dear to my heart. That I've just kind of felt this void here uh, at the Advent, while I really and truly think we that the Advent does a remarkable job of outreach uh, and. Sometimes I wish we did a better job of communicating to the community in general just how comprehensive our outreach is to locally uh, and globally. Uh, Advent has been very generous and very strong uh, in ministry uh, and in the ministries that we support uh, throughout the country and, and throughout the whole world. Uh, and, but the one void we had was, was we had a lack of prison ministry. Uh, and so we're just beginning now. We're beginning to uh, to kind of uh, get a feel for what all is involved and what our options are. And that's what this class is about, it's both uh, for women's ministry uh, and and men, and men, men's ministries, uh, prison ministry. So before I turn it over to Craig, who's going to say a prayer and introduce a speaker, uh, let me just say that next Sunday we're going to bring in Gerald Bray. Most of you, or at least some of you, know Gerald Bray. Top notch. He's a guy from England. He's over to do a semester at Beeson, and we're going to bring uh, Gerald in to do a three-part series. Really looking forward to that beginning next Sunday. So having said that, now I'm going to give this to uh, Craig Smalley, who is our outreach. He's our, uh, what do you call yourself? Um, I'm a man known by many names. I guess uh, uh, when people are saying, speaking favorably, Canon Missioner um, is, the, is, is the favorable. Um, thank you. Thank you, Frank. It really is. Uh, Trina, I'll just say a, a, a brief word. I'm going to welcome Charlie DeBarn-Laban, who many of you all know, and, uh, and he in turn. It's kind of an introduction to an introduction to an introduction to an introduction. It's, that's kind of how we're – it's a relay today. So anyway, um, we'll say just a very succinct word. Um, I'm really fortunate to work with our outreach ministries, and as Frank uh, noted, um, and, and we need to find some avenues to share. We're, we're really blessed. We're, we're very fortunate here at the Advent on, on any number of levels. But one is the support that we receive um, for our outreach ministries. And we really have, um, we have a team together. We have an outreach committee. I see Mary Berkeley Pritchard is one of, our, one of our members. We have a team that gets together um, throughout the year to sort of prayerfully discern the ministries that we're involved in both uh, internationally and locally and nationally and all, all in between. And as, uh, as Frank mentioned, there's no shortage of needs um, at, at home and abroad, and so we try to prayerfully discern um, areas that we can partner in and uh, invest in significantly to support those ministries has kind of been our approach. And I'm just looking out as well. I know we've had different folks involved within the parish with Kairos as well, just, spoke, just speaking with someone a moment ago. But I'm um, excited about the opportunity, um, Charlie, to hear from you all in just a moment about um, uh, a vital ministry, but as we uh, begin this morning, let me offer a prayer for us. Um, let us pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, we give you praise for this community of faith that you've gathered us together this morning. We thank you for the many ways uh, in which you richly bless us, and we thank you, Lord, um, for the uh, Bill Glass Prison Ministry, um, for those involved with it. We thank you as well for the gift of your Son, who is our Savior, Jesus Christ, the reality that we are all uh, imprisoned and enslaved by sin, and we needed you as a Lord and Savior to come forth into the midst of our lives, into the midst of this world, um, to ransom and redeem and deliver us. 
So, Lord, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your Son, who is our Savior. And pray now that as we're gathered in your name, that you'd be in the midst of us, and that uh, through what is presented here this morning, you would uh, speak to us. And not only speak to us, most gracious God, but call us to yourself and shape and fashion us for your service. And these things we ask now in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I'm going to hand it over here. Uh, Charlie DeBard-Laban, as I say, uh, and Whitney DeBard-Laban, many of you all know, have gotten involved in this ministry and, and have begun to share about it with, uh, with Frank and myself and others. And so um, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Craig. And thank you, Lord, for providing this opportunity for us. And thank you so much for being here. Very briefly, Whit and myself were in a very similar situation you are right now about a year ago. We'd heard about this ministry. We were curious. We prayed. And the Lord led us to the St. Clair Correctional Institution in April of last year. And I want to tell you, it was an incredibly overwhelming experience. The power of the Holy Spirit it just was amazing. And Whit will testify to this. And that's what really was led us here. We, we want to share this with you. Jack has been involved with this uh, prison ministry for many years. Uh, he is a former professional baseball player, played for the Boston Red Sox, uh, played for Auburn University, set many records uh, playing baseball throughout his minor league career and professional career as well. Uh, for the last 12, 13 years, he's been the area director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and for about as long time, maybe longer, associated with Bill Glass. And what was great about Bill Glass, and I'm going to let uh, Jack explain this to you, is that this is already set up. All you do is show up, and they will walk you through this. And the prisoners are so hungry, they're waiting for us. They're literally waiting for us. They want someone to come to them to share the gospel, to show them the way out is the way up. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Jack. Uh, Jack has been with Bill Glass for quite a while. Uh, he's very eloquent can talk about the prisons that he's been to for many years. And hopefully this will lead you as well as it led with myself to this prison ministry. And we'll have some literature for you at the end also. Jack? Oh, there goes the thing. Okay, you got it. Yeah, I got it. I sat on the thing wrong and it flipped off. It's on my belt somewhere. You put baseball or football? I play baseball. <laughs> I wasn't big enough to play uh, football. <clears throat> that good? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the chance to be here, and I and I thought first of all, now I want I want us to laugh a little bit because uh, laughter certainly uh, warms things up. But it, it becomes a little bit of a serious thing. And I want to read some scripture real quick. I'm going to uh, cut off a little bit of it. A recent scripture that to me is somewhat convicting, and I'll tell you how. In Matthew 25, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides sheep from the goats. And then he comes on down a little bit further. He said, Come, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And I was in prison and you came to me. The righteous will answer, when did we see you? Hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink. See a stranger take you in, naked and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? When you do it for the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then he goes on to the others and saying, you did not do this. Let me tell you. 
going to prison was the one thing of those that were listed there that I was never interested in doing. Uh, my relationship with Bill Glass, whose prison minister we worked with, my relationship with Bill Glass was very unique. Bill Glass was my cousin's college roommate at Baylor University. My cousin Dick went out there to play football, and Bill Glass was his roommate. And Bill Glass was studying to be an evangelist. And Dick was his roommate. And one time when, uh, in the summertime when uh, they were not playing football, Bill came back and spoke at my church. And as a nine-year-old young man, this guy was 6'5 and 275, and he said without Jesus Christ in his life, he would be helpless and have no support. He could do nothing without Christ in his life. And let me tell you, as a little fellow looking up at a guy that big, you think, oh, buddy, if he's nothing, how about me? And I can tell you, growing up in a church and knowing I, that was when I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And over the years, because of my cousin Dick, Bill would come back. Now, at this time, Bill was becoming an all-pro defensive end for the Cleveland Browns. And this guy was good. But he was also becoming known as an evangelist. In fact, he appeared with Billy Graham several times. And one time, Billy Graham made the statement about Bill Glass that he is going to be the next evangelist that's going to change our world. Bill got out of football in 1971 and was beginning the process of doing citywide campaigns, citywide crusades. He finishes one of those crusades, and he gets a phone call from one of the guys back in Cleveland where he played. He said, Bill, we want you to come and do prison ministry. And Bill said, really, I really don't know anything about prisons. Bill was as reluctant as we were. Don't know anything about prison ministry. He said, well, just come up and bring a few of the players. And so they went to the prison in Cleveland. And he went out there and took a couple, three professional players from the Cleveland Browns. These guys were not out there to speak. They were just out there to draw the crowd. Bill was going to be the one speaking. And what developed from that was one of the most amazing things that's ever happened. So much that Bill is celebrating 40 years of prison ministry this year. He only did a handful of citywide crusades. And as Bill says, he spent so much time in prison that if, if he committed a crime, he's already served the time. <laughs> But God changed his calling to do this. I can remember the first time he called and asked me to go into prison. I had three little kids, and I've seen plenty of Hollywood movies. I had a great fear of what might happen to me if I went in. So he let me slide. The next time he called, I had a good excuse. The next time he tricked me. He called him and said, hey, would you be willing to drive me around? Yeah. I didn't know the driver had to go into prison. <laughs> and just imagine being at Donaldson Prison, and you're walking up through, the, through, and you go through security, and they take your driver's license and your car keys, and they save them back there, and then you go through the gate, and you've gone through two double wall or two double fences that are about 12 foot high with razor wire, and you're sitting there thinking, 
buddy, look at this. And you start walking. And let me tell you, Bill Glass is in front of this group. There's four of us going in. Bill Glass is in front. And Bill is 6'5", 275. By then, he was probably bigger than that. On the left-hand side was Mike McCoy, who played for Notre Dame and, and the Green Bay Packers. Mike is 6'7", 340. The guy on this side was Bubba Parrish, the star tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. But Bubba was 6'8", 370. I'm 6'6", 290. I'm the small one. But let me tell you, as we walked in like that, I was as much in the middle of those guys as I could be. Because I was a little bit afraid. It was my first time. We walked in there, and they did the program. And I saw inmates, black, white, Hispanic. I saw those guys come to be drawn to listen to these three men tell their stories. And you know, the stories they told were not necessarily about their relationship with Christ. Some of these inmates like to hear about that football player talking about what it was like to block so that Joe Montana could throw that pass down the field to Jerry Rice and what it was like to be a Super Bowl. And Bill Glass's whole way of doing things that they learned was if you can bring the, the teammates, our teammates in, and have a speaker to draw the inmates, then once you get them there, you can start really getting to the point of the gospel through the teammates. And what I learned is that these guys would come and in, in, the, in the prisons love having you around because for the next six months after Bill Glass's team go in to a prison, the morale is up. And unlike a lot of prison ministries where you have limitations that you can't go out on the on, into the prison uh, cells, you can't go out on the yard, Bill Glass has favor to do that because they see the value to these uh, inmates. Two years later, I'm, Bill Glass comes back, and now I am an official driver, and I got put over in charge of the guy that was taking photos. This was before the Privacy Act. Now you can't take photos. Back then you could. And so we took the photos, and I thought, well, I'm coming along. Well, two years later, I get called, and they said, we, you've seen how we work. Would you be willing to go and be one of our platform guests? That means I'm the one they're going to come listen to so that the teammates can share the gospel when you get done. I said, well, I can. I said, is anybody going to help me? They said, well, we will a little bit. Well, they, a little bit was very much a good de description. <laughs> My little bit was you're speaking at, 10, at 9.30 and 2.30. <laughs> Got out, I flew to Arizona to speak in this prison. It was an INS prison, a private prison, where they were sending them back if they came in illegal or if they came here illegal, illegally and they committed a crime, they were getting sent home, back to the you know, homeland. And so I'm there. And fog happened that morning, and so the guy who was supposed to be doing the first program got fogged into Dallas and couldn't get to us. He, so they came back and said, you're going to go at 8.30 and 9.30. We're going to keep the your afternoon program. I was ready for, to listen a little bit. I'm the first guy. Well, the first thing they did, they, they introduced me to uh, Joaquin over here. Well, hey, Joaquin. Yeah. So 
So, okay, uh, good to meet you. Right? So I go up and start to talk, my talk. Now I'm prepared for 20 minutes. They told me to talk for about 20 minutes and turn it over to teammates. So I'm prepared for 20 minutes. As soon as I start talking, Joaquin grabs my arm and says, Senor, I have to translate. My 20 minutes went from 10 because he's going to take 10 of my minutes. And I probably did as poor a job on that first session that a person could do speaking. And I thought, boy, I'm a failure at this. But I handed it off because what I shared at the very end is all through my, my walk, and I, I made sure, should I tell a little bit of how I got to baseball, my story? Anyway, I'll tell you that part. But anyway, I'll try to point the people to peace that I have known in Jesus Christ and that my teammates here to share peace. And that first session, as badly as I did, they recorded over 40, 40 people pray to receive Christ. And I thought, whoa. Let me tell you, this. I, I'm going to give you a two-minute version of my, my baseball experience, which is why they like me to speak. When I was a senior in high school, I went to Ramsey High School here in Birmingham. My senior year in high school, I did not start from my high school baseball team. We won two games. My brother was a sophomore, and he started. And I played the, the Mount Brook Little League all the way up, and I made some all-star teams in. But when I got to high school where it matters, I didn't get to start. I ended up going to Auburn University to major in business and minor in dairy because we were the Baker Dairy people, and I was going to work at the dairy. And something happened the first week on campus at Auburn that changed my life. When I was in school, every freshman had to take, man had to take PE. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, PE. And on Friday that first week, I'd go out there, and to end the class, the coach called me up and says, Big guy, come here. I look around, everybody's kind of short, so I figure I'm him. <laughs> And he says, son, you run good for a big guy. You ever thought about playing football here at Auburn? How big are you? I said, 6'5", 220. He said, man, you'd be a perfect tight end. I said, never played football. He said, what about basketball? I said, never played basketball. I had a knee problem. What? You never played sports? I said, love baseball. He said, try out for baseball. Give it your best and you'll make the, t- uh, you'll make the team. Or you'll know you tried your best and just weren't good enough, but at least you'll know. And I used that as a motivation to try out for baseball when they had trials the next Monday. And somehow or another, I made the team. I was going to try out as a as first baseman, right? I mean, a pitcher, because I threw hard. And I ended up having to be a first baseman, because everybody, there were 35 guys tried out for pitcher, and nobody was trying out for first. And I'm good at math. <laughs> and I set the bench for two years, never played. The first game I played in college, I had to play because our starting first baseman on full scholarship had pulled a hamstring, couldn't play. I got to play, went to bat three times, hit the home run that won the game. Ten days later, full scholarship guys back starting because I was a walk-on. The next year, I'm batting fourth, and he's playing third base, and I'm batting third. And I get drafted by the Red Sox. And I'm in the 26th round, which is about as high, you know, I'll tell you about the high draft, but I guess about as high as you can go, 26th round. 704th in the country. They thought highly of me. <laughs> but I got drafted by the Red Sox, and, and they came to the first camp in the minor league, and they said, statistics show that 8% of everybody that signed pro will make it to the big leagues. 8% of everybody that signs will make it to the big leagues. i do the math real quick. There's 37 guys in that first camp. 
and I multiplied by eight, it's going to be just right at three guys are going to make it to the big leagues. And by now, I'd have a little bit of confidence. I wonder who the other two are. <laughs> the, first, the guy that was, the, that was far and away the best guy in that draft for us was a guy named Jim Rice. He got in the Hall of Fame in 2009. The other two guys that made it to the big leagues, which it did for us, it was exactly three guys made it, was a guy that got drafted 25th and me. Mark stayed in the big leagues for a cup of coffee a couple of years. I had a cup of coffee in a couple of years. Great success in the minor leagues. But one of the things that Bill Glassman liked for us to do is just tell the story of, of being down and out or everybody writing you off and then, then being able to succeed. And we share that. But without a doubt, what, I tur what my whole talk turns on is the fact that when I was playing my third year, I was ready to quit. And I called home, and my dad was my biggest fan. How's it going? It's not going good. <coughs> I'm ready to quit. My dad always would tell me whenever I was down, when, you know what we say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I said, Dad, let me speak to Mom. <laughs> I wanted someone to say, baby, come home. We love you. And I'm the oldest of six kids, and I can tell you, coming home wasn't an option. Coming home wasn't an option. And I can remember... After I got off the phone mom, she said, you need to pray about it. You need to read your Bible and see what God has for you. And I tell these, the inmates this. And I happen to be reading in a living Bible uh, paraphrase, don't worry about anything. Tell God your needs. Don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you'll experience the peace of God that passes all understanding as he keeps your heart and mind through Christ Jesus the Lord. And I determined then I really did not want success in baseball as much as I wanted success in being at peace with my Lord. And that's what I share to kind of, to entry to our teammates to share. Now, I'm out in Arizona now, and I have finished doing my little talk poorly at, at 8.30. 9.30 is a little bit better, except my translator didn't get the things right. Some other guys came up and told him he said it wrong. Even then, people prayed to receive Christ. But what happened, because my schedule changed at 2.30, when Keith came in to take my 2.30 slot, I was a teammate. And so I had a chance to go up and share with these guys who were interested in talking about Jesus. And, I, and this young guy and I, we shared with these two men, and they made a decision. So then we go back, and there's a guy that's there in a wheelchair. He's a chaplain who had wanted us to come in, and between the time they set up and the time we got the hit, a massive stroke, and he was there in a wheelchair. This entire side was numb. When he talked, it was more of a boom, 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 boom. He had a notepad and a pencil and a track. And as I started back to get back with our group, this guy looks at me and says, and I go over there, I look down on the notepad, he wrote, he, W-A-N-T, to pray. He wants to pray. And I looked at the young man and said, did you want to pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? He said, yes, I did. I said, do you understand? He said, yeah. And he said, look, he said, on that notepad, the man put, read, understand. And he just pointed at it with his pencil. And this guy reading scripture 
The Bible says Scripture does not return void. And this young man prayed to see Christ. And, and they, he asked me to pray, the three of us holding hands. And when we got through praying, I don't think anybody of the three of us was not crying. What an incredible moment for us. I can remember going to Tutwiler. It's a lot of times they say, oh, that's not for me. Going to prison ministry, that's good for y'all, but I, I would be afraid. You go to Tutwiler's women's prison in Alabama. The lady got through speaking up in the front, and so they had teammates that got a chance to sit down. And up on the front left side over here, there was one of our teammates, a lady teammate, and there was an inmate. And the inmate, the, the lady, the teammate looked up and said, can I talk to you a little bit about this? She said, no, no, no. God can never forgive me. I said, God can forgive you. God is a loving God, and he can forgive you. You have to confess your sins, but God can forgive you. No, 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 you don't understand. God can never forgive me for what I've done. He can never forgive me. And she said, God can forgive you. She said, you don't understand. I'm in here because I killed my two children. And the teammate sat there and said, I know God can forgive you because he forgave me because before I knew Jesus, I aborted two children. And God took a divine appointment like that to see this lady pray to see Christ and turn her life around. Now, will she pay for her a punishment? Yeah. But does she, have, does she know Jesus Christ is her Lord and Savior? And will that make eternal significance to her? Yes, you better believe it. You better believe it. So when I say, uh, when I start talking about going into to prison, I want to compare going into prison ministry with Bill Glass' prison ministry. It's a little bit different than Kairos or a weekly Bible study. Bill Glass is a one-weekend evangelistic thrust into prisons. From 5 o'clock on Friday night where you'll meet uh, a banquet at Shades Mountain Baptist, they, they feed everybody and we have the program and they do the training to freshmen, you will be through at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And the reason I say it's like a mission trip is my adopted daughter was a missionary for 12 years in the Latin America. And I asked her one time, I said, Mandy, is it hard to get mission teams to come to Bolivia at the time? She said, no. She said, it's real easy. I said, seriously? She said, yeah, it's real easy. She said, think of it. Mission teams go, want to come to Bolivia because they've never been to Bolivia before. So they get to go to a different place. When they go, everybody there appreciates them being there. And they feel much love, and it really doesn't matter what they're like back home right there. They're great. And while they're there, they get to see things they've never seen before. And then they go home, and no one's going to pick up a phone and call them next week and say, Senor Charles, I need money. And you've got to think about it. It's not a whole lot different. Us going into prison ministry, we give a 24-hour period. And then what happens when people make these decisions to trust Jesus Christ or rededicate their life, as some of them do, Kairos, churches, and other Bible studies, and to chaplains, they take over to do the follow-up, the teaching, and the discipleship. Would I have ever thought 
20 years ago that I would be a big advocate of prison ministry? 20 years ago? No way. I was happy just to be the driver. And when we do our event in February, it'll be my 47th weekend. And my full-time job is with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, where we, we present to athletes, coaches, and all they influence, the challenge and adventure of receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, serving Him within their relationships and in the fellowship of the church. That's what FCA is about. Do you know, a lot of times when I go to prison, especially in Birmingham, I wonder how many of those kids there we missed because we didn't have FCA at their school. Or, even worse, they dropped out before they got to where they could do it. And probably the, the one Birmingham event, I'm going to let Charlie or Witt say something, I've got about five minutes, but the one Birmingham event that I can remember is my sister taught the elementary school at Gate City, and she would have us go over and read books to the kids. And one time I was speaking in Birmingham, this kid came, Mr. Baker, Mr. Baker, you miss Bloodworth's brother. I had read to this little boy. And he's in prison. So, now, do, do we have any, uh, what we would ask to do? And there's two or three things. Number one is we're going in on April the 14th. So it'll be Friday the 13th into April 14th. It'll be when we're going to prison in Birmingham. We are, because of Jefferson County's financial situation, we're not going to Jefferson County Jail this year because they can't provide the security. So we go in Shelby County Shelby, uh, to a drug rehab in Shelby County. Bibb County, big facility at uh, Centerville, and probably some work, the women's work release, and probably some youth facilities. We need anywhere from 50 to 70 women. We need 150 men. And the more facilities we do, the more people we need. You can register online. I'll get information here on, on the weekend. We're going to pass these out. Y'all, they're going to come up and get them. Uh, yeah, we'll put them on the table. Soon. We'll put them on the table where you can come get the card on that. Another way you can help is... A way that even if you're thinking, you know, uh, if you're a lady and you're thinking, I really think my husband ought to go. Let me, let me tell you. <laughs> they won't keep him, so you're going to get him back. <laughs> but if you would like to, to help in some form, shape, or fashion, what we will uh, be doing is on, on February the 21st at McElwain Baptist Church, there's going to be a, a banquet to raise money to, for, to help cover costs of this event. We have table sponsorships, but we also are going to have a, an auction of some items to be sold. It's $10 to eat, a full moon barbecue. Bill Glass is coming in this year to speak. And it's, it would be worth $10 to just hear Bill Glass speak. But uh, we've got information about that on the table back here. And so uh, we have that. You can information how to register go into the units there. Plus, you can ask these two guys. They know that they're, they've been there once each, so they're veterans. <laughs> so at this, I'm gonna let Charlie Whit to share whatever they'd like to. Uh, Jack, thank you very much. Uh, everybody here. It's on. Can everybody hear me? Okay. Um, Jack, thank you. First of all, you're not in prison from five o'clock Friday until four o'clock the next day. Okay. That's the warm-up. That's where they're going to instruct you how this works, uh, and it is it is absolutely overwhelming. And no, 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 you do not. 
you go in about what, maybe 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning? It depends on the unit that you're in. Uh, Y'all got the gravy train last time. Gee, thanks. Uh, <laughs> they didn't have to be there at 9 o'clock. Most of the time, you have to get up about 6, 30 or 7 o'clock in the morning and go and get checked in, processed, and then uh, sometimes you get to eat with the inmates. Sometimes they bring your food separate. It just depends how the unit does. And you will be through by 3.30 uh, and, and departing by 4. So you're talking about really in prison, 7.30 to, to, to 3.30, eight hours max. And everybody that's ever gone said, it's not what I thought it was going to be like. You want to go back. That's why we're here. Yeah. So, yeah. But the, the night before is a preparatory. And then they'll send you home by 9 o'clock so you can sleep a good three or four hours. Um, and I'll see if Whit uh, has anything he wants to add also. But last year, uh, the Bill Glass Ministries literally went to, and before, 100, over 130,000 men across the country. And women. And women, that's right. And over 30,000 came to the Lord for the first time. And I can't think of anything more overwhelming than bringing someone desperate to find Christ to bring them to Christ. And it's just, it, it, and again, the power of the Holy Spirit is, is overwhelming. Whit, you got anything you want to add? Yeah. Um, well, my experience was probably a little different. Uh, I went, and I've been thinking about doing this for 10 or 15 years, and every time I try to do something, I just drug away from something else, from reentry ministries I experienced with, and Kairos I was trying to work with. And finally, this is second, third time I signed up, and I finally said, I'm just going to do it. Well, the day before something happened, Darius said, you can't do it, I'm going to do it. Um, and as, as Jack said, you walk in, and we went to St. Clair, maximum security, uh, high fences, raise the wire, shut the doors behind you, and I was scared, and you could see it, and I was like a deer, deer in headlights. So walking in there, and an uh, inmate grabs me. I go, oh, this is it. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I knew I should have done this. And he said, can I help you? Let, let me speak to you. And he was ministering to me because he knew I was scared out of my mind. Um, and I sat and listened to the platform artists, stayed with them, got my little uh, holy huddle around, they get to exactly, you go there to listen. These men aren't listened to. They're told what to do all their lives. And you go in to listen to them, it opens up. The Holy Spirit comes and tells you what to say to them. They give you four little questions to ask, ask these questions, and then you just listen to them. And for them to have men that really want to listen to them and look them in the eyes. So I was doing pretty good. Then all of a sudden, the man and Ken Francis grabbed me. So, okay, what, I'm going to take you to the pod. I didn't know what the pod was. Well, the pod is maximum security lockdown. You go in there, and these guys are the worst of the worst. And they put me in there. What the hell am I going to do? Same thing. They cracked it open. They put their heads in. They want to listen. They want you to talk to them, and they want you to listen to them. And I tell you, it moves you more than you touches these guys you've ever experienced. Once you do it once, once you try it, you will go back. So thank you, Jack, for the opportunity. And guys, if your heart's inclined, just try it once. Just try it once. It's April the 14th. Meet April the 13th. to tell you what to do. Your teammate. Um, it's really a compliment to Birmingham because we had about 300 people from all over the country come to Birmingham to go into our prisons together. The guy that was taking me was from Kentucky. He called me a week before and said, "What? calm down. You know, the evil one will be out there. He'll pull you away again. Don't resist it. I'll be there Friday night to walk you through it. And he did. Same thing happened to Charlie. It's just a great experience, guys. Thank you. February 21st. April 
the banquet's a fundraiser to help fund it, and then April the 13th uh, is at night. We'll do the training for anybody that's coming in. If you want to learn more about it, come to the banquet on. Or you can call me. Or go to the banquet. And that's in February. Right. And this car is saved. These are the saved dates. Right. Yeah. This is the church. This is the saved date. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the women, women. This is a weird, weird answer. Okay, women do women. They the women work release or they do youth. They can do women can go to the youth facilities, which would be teenage boys, but mostly girls. Uh, they even split those out. The reason I say it's a weird question, we have uh, that go in with us that draw a crowd. We have some bikers, and they kick, they come in with their big bikes, and they they uh, a lot of times those will be men and women uh, couples. And if they're that way, the women will go in with their husband to a unit. But that's unusual. That's not a lot. So you're saying they only go to the work facility and the youth? They don't get to go in? No. Uh, there are no women in Bibb County. It's men only. But Shelby County and the uh, Alabama Therapeutic, which is a drug rehab reentry, they both have women. You would be going in there. And Shelby County is, is the prison that, or the jail I went to where they had a guy that that took his mattress and tried to climb the, the uh, fence and threw it over the razor wire. When he jumped on the wire, figuring that was going to protect him, it cut him. It cut through that mattress. So yeah, but it's it's uh, the women do get to go into the the jail, but they can, they also can go to the youth facility or the women work release. But the women's work release is is a state prison. It's just that they are, are low security. Yes, sir. I'm sure we could. I'll have to figure out how to do it, but I'm sure we could. And don't try and simplify, okay? That's uh, <laughs> streamlined. But yes, um, I'll talk to Charles. He can put a link. Okay, we can do that. No, for 10 years I've done prison, Donaldson, death row, executions, and all that, and I'm proud about what he's talking about. And I know a lot. I taught out of prison for three years, and I know how they run the prisons and all that st situation. But in prisons, you know, the Donaldson's your maximum six, which is your high security. And I was teaching out there, but Tutwiler is the worst prison in southeast there is. I've been there, and I'm saying it's we have an alpha. We've done an alpha, as you well know, and it's really outstanding to do that. But I think it's what you're saying is really great. I was going to tell you that. We do have plans to go to Tutwiler, which would be women only uh, by the fall. So, but that's anybody else have questions? Let me tell you this: if you have a little bit of fear, that's not uncommon. Because if you've never been in jail or in prison. Uh, there's a little uncertainty, but once you've done it once, that part goes. And if you follow the rules, the main rule is don't leave the main body. You know, uh, that's the rule. In uh, 40 years, and Bill has probably been in 60 to 80,000 prisons. They've never had a single incident. They've had two incidences where they had to shut down vis shut down us going in ahead of time because of problems in the jail, but not while we were there. 
and I was teaching in Donaldson, and I taught all days on Wednesday, and a guy got killed, and I got locked in. And it didn't bother me because back in there when they find Christ and all that, they listen to you. But I got completely locked up in the prison for eight hours, which didn't bother me. that I was arranging the military also. But I'm just saying they, they found me locked up. And you, what you're doing, if somebody dies in a prison, you have to get the county sheriffs to go in to find the murders and all that. But I was in there for eight hours, and I got kind of tickled. I'm thinking, because I ended up with the guy that did the murder. And they finally saw <laughs> And I'm thinking, that's when they saw me, and I go, oh, boy. Please ignore the last comments. <laughs> if you stay with the main group, you'll be okay. We are, everybody's paying attention where we are. That, that was the devil kicking in. Now, we're going to be here if you have any questions, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you, Jack. Um, Thank you so much, uh, Jack and Charles and Whitney. I appreciate that uh, very much. As I say, they'll be here. Um, for those of you that aren't going to 11, if you want to catch up and ask them some more questions, uh, thanks as well. Um, thanks as well, Paul. We're glad you're here um, still. So uh, anyway, let us, uh, let's, let's pray as we go forth here. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for once again gathering us for the words which we have just heard. Uh, pray, Lord, and you... Um, you seek and call each and every one of us, and we're grateful for that, for the work of your Holy Spirit to draw us to you. And you place before us many different um, calls and opportunities for your ministry and service. And I pray, I pray for each one gathered here, Lord, that you would lead and guide us, that you would enable us to discern your call upon our lives, and that we might know the freedom which is found in serving you. As we go forth now, go with us. Lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.